Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Let's go in our Bibles to Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, and we are here in this section for our study And I'm entitling this whole first section here, the introduction, as Church Planting 101. Okay, Church Planting 101. It's the basics of church planting. That's why we went to Acts 16 a couple of weeks ago. And we looked at how the gospel came to Philippi. We looked at how this church was planted, how this church was born in the city of Philippi. Luke called it a chief city, this important city. And so as we look at this, it's important to understand if a church is going to be established in any community, there are certain elements that need to be in place for this to be a healthy church, a biblical church, a New Testament church, a functioning church. If that church is going to make a difference in its region, in its area, then we're seeing from Scripture exactly what is needed. So Paul's heart was for Christ, for the gospel. He came to this area. He came preaching Christ. He came preaching repentance. And people were born again. And the church was planted. And they endured great persecution, as we saw unfold in Acts chapter 16. Paul is now writing. He's concerned about this church. He's writing from prison. He's not writing from the balcony overlooking the the waves lapping up on the ocean shore. He's writing from prison. And yet he's filled with joy. And as we encounter life, as we encounter trials, as we encounter sorrow and grief and the passing of loved ones and all of that goes on in a political climate that we live in, the question is for us, if you are a child of God, if you are a believer, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, are we characterized by joy or are we characterized by stress and anxiety? We are called to joy. And so Paul gives to us exactly what we need as this letter was written to the Philippians. It was not written to us, but it was written for us. So this is helpful for us this morning. Philippians chapter 1, the first two verses are the introduction, a standard introduction for the first century. Paul and Timothy, and the word there is slaves, all right? It's, it's doulos, servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints, and we looked at that last week, in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi, with the overseers, and this is where our message comes for today, and God willing, next Sunday, and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you have your outline there, what does the New Testament declare about overseers? And the term is interchangeable in the New Testament for overseers, elders, pastors. First of all, elders or overseers must be properly recognized by the church. And for this, we're going to go to Paul's letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5, there's a section here that it pertains to elders that we have studied before. We've gone through 1 Timothy. So we just want to be reminded of this this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 5, just we'll start with verses 17 and 18. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Overseers must be properly recognized by the church, not just recognized, properly recognized. So let's unpack this together this morning. What is Paul saying in these two letters? The the principle is universal for all churches. So when Paul was writing to Titus on the island of Crete, you have unfinished work there. It's the same work. Here we are 2,000 years later. We're not reinventing the wheel. We're to say, what does the Bible say? 
Do we rightly understand it? How do we put this into practice in our lives personally and corporately as a church? Letter A, the position of overseer is for the church. This position of overseer, of elder, is for the church. And so that's why Paul would say in verse 17 there, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Let the elders. There are three words, three terms in the New Testament that help us understand this office of overseer, of elder. The three words of this, one is episkopos, all right? Uh, we've looked at this before, but I, some of you maybe were not here with us when we went through a very detailed study. And why is this important? Because you're basically hearing me preach my own job description, all right? So I just welcome you as I preach a sermon to myself and to Russ, all right, and to Jay, and to all who would be called to serve in this way in the coming years. And it's not just for us, it's for the whole church to follow that example. So we do not believe that there is the professional standing and then there's everybody else. We don't share a special means of grace that, that we can resist sin much easier than, than you can because after all, I was ordained. That just puts me in more of a fishbowl. And so we're in this together. That word episkopos is bishop, translated in our Bibles, bishop or overseer. And that word sheds light on, it helps us understand there's a role of leadership and direction for the church, and that's entailed in that word episkopos. Then there's the word presbyteros, and that's where translated elder. Now, this has to do with the spiritual maturity required for the office, that it would not be advisable, it wouldn't be wise to take someone young, immature, and lay hands on them to serve as an elder because they're, they need some life experience with their theological knowledge. The two need to go together so that they know what is right to do, but they have some wisdom on how do they apply what is right to do in the situations. And then that last word is poimain, has to do with sheep, and that's where we get the word almost a straight carryover pastor. Okay, so let's keep in mind when you think about it, I don't mind be call, being called pastor, okay, uh, because it, it's not really a triumphant name or term. Maybe it is in our day, but it wasn't in the first century. When Jesus walked the earth, shepherds outside of Jerusalem on those same hillsides that David grew up, they couldn't even testify in court. They couldn't go into the temple and, and offer the sacrifices that they were raising the lambs for everybody else. So they were regarded as nobodies, and yet in God's economy, where did the message of a coming Savior come first? Shepherds. Okay, so the Lord loves taking the nobodies and actually using them to accomplish his plan and purpose in marvelous ways so that all the glory belongs to the Lord. So when you say, hey, pastor wise, you're really saying shepherd wise which implies you have a job to do and there must be sheep that you are to lead and you're either a shepherd or a sheep and I'm an under-shepherd, which means I, that we together as men, we also have a shepherd and his name is Jesus. So it's not just we have something for you. We found all the answers and now here, let us help and bless you. It is we are to lead as we are led. Paul would say that in 1 Corinthians 11, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And if I'm, if I'm ever not imitating Christ, then do not imitate me. Do not mimic me. Do not follow me in that way. Pray for me. The qualifications for elders, and I'm just going to do this in a, in a brief way this morning, but here are the qualifications for those who serve currently and for those who would be called upon to serve. They come from 1 Timothy 3, from Titus 1, from 1 Peter chapter 5. The elder, the, the man of God serving in the church must be blameless, that is, above reproach. It doesn't mean the accusations are not made against me or an elder. It means that when people who know that man well, they know that that cannot be true. 
that, that ought not. I don't know that to be true. When you hear an accusation, maybe we need to follow up on that, but I don't know that that is that person. I don't believe that. I know them, and I hear what you're saying, but that accusation doesn't stick against them. They made accusations against Jesus. They made accusations against Paul, against all of his followers, but they didn't stick. Uh, he must also be temperate, that is, well-balanced, alert, watchful, clear-headed, sober-minded, that is, he's disciplined in his priorities. <laughs> the church doesn't look around Sunday after Sunday like, hey, you think the pastor's going to show up today? Man, I hope he makes it. You know, there's an elder. I wonder if they're going to make it to church today, you know? Like, they're, they're disciplined in their priorities of good behavior. He leads an orderly life. He's hospitable. He receives others graciously. His home is open. And in that, as elders, our wives are part of that. Sometimes our wives will even go behind our back, and I don't see June in here this morning, and they'll open up the house on us. And people will show up, and, and, and the elder doesn't even know. But he's like, okay. And that happened Friday night at celebrating Russ's birthday. But if, if there's a husband and wife relationship, and the wife is just, you know, not, not, not willing to open the house, then that can hamper a husband's ability. And so let me just make a, a comment here about those of you that open your houses for small groups. It may seem like a small thing to you, but it is not a small thing. It is pressing through the entire congregation to make your house ready to receive, which is why we endeavor to have small groups that are not 20 and 30, because then you, the size of the house demanded for the small group changes. So it's okay to have a group of six to eight to 10 that can fit like a small family in a house and work those things out. Not addicted to wine, that is, he's not an abuse, abuser of substances. When I was in Africa, we had some interesting conversation over that, just as we did men uh, a couple of months ago around the fire, talking about, so is it forbidden or is drunkenness forbidden? And he is not to stay long at the wine. That's, we can't go beyond scripture. He's not addicted to wine. And for that matter, he's not addicted to anything. It's not just wine, but I'm addicted to drugs. Well, no, it's, and it's not addicted. You're not a servant, a slave to anything other than Jesus. Number seven, he's not violent. He's able, able to demonstrate self-control in difficult situations. Uh, number eight, not greedy for money or covetous. He's not greedy for dishonest gain, but he's content. Number nine, this man must be gentle. He's considerate. He's gracious. He's quick to pardon failure without holding grudges. When people reappear that have been in life prior in different situations, is this man, is he gentle? He must be a peacemaker, number 10. He strives for peace, and he stands against sowing discord. Number 11, he's respectable. He has a good testimony, yes, inside the church, but also what is his testimony in the community? Does he pay his bills? Is he dependable? Does he consider the neighbors around him or is he just his own person and he does whatever he wants to do? These are important areas. Number 12, he's a husband to one wife and literally that is a one woman man and that means not, I'm married, check. I meet that qualification. It, it really doesn't have anything to do with is he single or is he married because the apostle Paul was single. Jesus was single. He never married. So that's not just, I'm married. Our pastor meets that description. It is, does everyone, including his wife, know that he loves his own wife and it's not questionable? There's, there's never any foolish jesting about other women, about, you know, hey, look over there. Sometimes I even wonder when, when people are, you know, even drawing attention to their own wife, like, yeah. You know, isn't she, you know, all these things. And I'm kind of like, well, that's my wife. But does everyone in that man's life know that man, Brian, loves ginger, right? So important. Number 13, manages his own household well. He leads, he loves his wife and children uprightly. He's not a new convert. Number 14, that is, he's not a brand new Christian. But this guy can speak so well. He's, he's managed companies. He's a great administrator. And let's make him an elder. No. He needs some time. Don't set him up for failure. Let him grow in the faith. 
able to teach, number 15. This is the, the one area that is not included in our study with deacons. Uh, deacons are not required to teach, but they do need to know their Bibles. So this man, the elder, must be spiritually gifted and able to teach the Bible. And by the way, um, just thinking of number 12, I didn't say it, but if you're going to be a husband to one wife, that means you have to be a man. Okay, so that's, that's why our eldership is limited to, to men. Husband of one wife, it's very clear that's, that has, it requires a, a man all the way back to the garden. All right, able to, uh, number 16, refute error. Okay, so when false teaching comes in, when false teachers uh, come around, the man of God must know the word of God and be able to give an answer in a right way that matches all the others. He's not just, you know, immediately fighting and, and angry and hateful and no. But he can, he does know his Bible. He does know what is right. Does this mean that every time someone has asked me a question, I've had all the answers? No. There's been many times I've been asked a question. So don't be afraid to share your faith until when I know my Bible, then I'll step out and share. I don't know the whole Bible with ev- to answer every single, but I know where to find it and I will find it. So if someone asks me a question that I don't know, and that has happened many times, I'm perfectly comfortable with saying, I haven't worked through that question yet. Let me take some time and let me think on that and not just rapid fire an email back, rapid, rapid file, a, you know, fire a response back verbally if we're face-to-face or a text message back. Give the time for someone to think through the question and let it go through the heart before coming back. Let the situation stay calm and cool so that the best answer can be realized, not just an answer that doesn't help the situation. Number 17, he takes good care of the church of God. This man is able to lead. He's able to resolve conflict. He's able to shepherd, as 1 Peter 5 says, shepherd the flock of God while, Ephesians 4, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. That our responsibility is to raise up those who will serve in the body of Christ. And this does not rest on me in this position alone. And letter B, there's a plurality of elders, and this is for the church. There's a plurality of overseers. So this is why when Paul writes to Philippians, he says to the elders, it's plural, not to the elder. He's not talking just to a senior pastor. He's talking to the elders that lead there. We see this in Acts 20, Philippians 1, Titus 1, 5, 1 Peter 5, the plurality, at least more than one. There have been times we've had two. Well, that's more than one, but three is better. Uh, even our conversations as we meet now, having three people, it changes, and it's not just ping pong with a topic back and forth. It's a discussion that has three parts to it, three individuals. And the church is to always be multiplying leaders. We're devoted to this. We're concerned with this. This is why we're investing into our children's ministry and our youth ministry and praying, God, we want our young people, and this is the normal progression that should be happening, that they grow up in the church, they take hold themselves, and they become the individuals who are the coming leaders of the church. And we're experiencing in our generation, in our culture, a a time when young men do not want to grow up and take that responsibility. They want to have sex with girls. They want to stay living in their parents' houses. They want to have all of those things, but they do not want to enter into marriage and take the responsibility and in the church grow up and embrace that responsibility. Whether it's fear or whether it's selfishness, we as men can help set an example and encourage our young men that this is good. This is glorious. This is eternal work that we're involved in, and we love serving our master, the Lord Jesus Christ. So pray for these young men. Get beside these young men. Shepherd the hearts of these young men. The purpose of these elders is for the church. The overseers, it's for the church. It's not just for them. The elders are to rule. They're to stand before and they're to rule well. The word for rule occurs eight times. The word is proistomy. It recurs eight times in the New Testament, and it's translated rule five times, maintain twice, and be over once. It gives us an understanding. What is the responsibility of the elders? Stand up and lead. 
I was listening to something this week. It was helpful. Leadership. Leadership only exists when there's something that needs to be done. When there's a task to be accomplished, to just simply proclaim yourself, uh, I'm the leader, you know? If, if I'm out in my yard, I'm the leader of leaf collecting right now. And someone looks around like, well, who's with you? You're not really leading anybody. You're just doing it. Well, if Lola's with me, I'm the leader. She's on the mower. I'm just the leader of putting the leaves in the bag, bag after bag after bag. If you're a leader, if there's a need, that means there's something that needs to be done. It's not just, call me leader. Well, what, are you, what are you doing? Nothing. Well, then the point is, the title is useless. To be a leader, to stand up and lead, it means there is an accomplishment. There's a great commission that needs to be carried out. There's a people that need to be gathered and organized and shepherded and prayed over and fed the word of God and led. And all of this life together, there, there's something that God has for us. And again, we're back to this is an eternal purpose. Elders are to rule well, Paul says in 1 Timothy 5. They're to rule well. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. That my ministry should be pleasing to the Lord, that our ministry should be pleasing to the Lord. And so it is for everyone in the church, wherever your hand is committed to ministry. Letter D, there's a partnership and this partnership is for the church. Are you seeing the reoccurring theme here? Position is for the church. The plurality is for the church. Their purpose is for the church. Their partnership is for the church. And those elders are also part of the church. They need this partnership. The elders who rule well are to be counted worthy of double honor. So there are different responsibilities given to different elders. Not every elder is a, a cookie cutter of their, the exact same thing. We have different roles. We have different personalities. We have different perspectives. We have different gifting, but we have one spirit and we serve in one church. So, so there's a multiplicity. There's a partnership. So in, in a team ministry like this with, and I use Jay and Russ's examples, then Brian's weaknesses are minimized. My strengths can be mac maximized, and so it goes with the other men because I'm not being tasked to do something that I'm not good at. When you don't have a partnership, then I've felt the pressure of, I need to be good at everything. I need to have the answer for everyone, every time, for everything. And if I'm not, that person's going to think, I'm a worthless pastor. I've felt that pressure. I don't feel that pressure anymore. I feel the right pressure, and that is be faithful. Love the Lord and love his people in a way that pleases the Lord and do the responsibility that is entrusted into my care. And that's a heavy responsibility, but that's when Paul says to the Galatians, bear your own burden. And then there's the time when you bear one another's burdens. They can't carry it themselves. Can't carry the church by myself. But I am to carry my responsibility well. And that's how that works out in the partnership that we worship together and we walk together and we work together and we demonstrate that and so it is for every member of the congregation here at Grace and it truly should be in every church. Letter E, what are the, the priorities? Well, the priorities of the elders, it's not for the elders. It's for the church. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. So in Acts chapter 6, the responsibilities to labor in prayer and the word came under a threat, came under attack. It was an internal attack. That's where the church was growing and there were Hellenistic widows and they were being neglected in the daily distribution. This is a problem. It was a, se a severe problem. And the apostles, they had a decision. Do we go and do we meet all of these needs seven days a week? You, you do like to eat every day, don't you, right? But they said we can't. If we forego the responsibility that we have of shepherding the flock of God, then the people will suffer spiritually and we can't allow that to happen. So Acts chapter 6, verse 4, after they gave those seven men, you select seven men, and here's what the apostles said, and this is still intact, loved ones, for those who would serve, for those who would labor in preaching and teaching word and doctrine, this is what the apostle said, Acts 6, 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That holds my feet 
to the fire. That holds our feet to the fire. That that is the responsibility to be committed to praying and the ministry, the study, the delivery, the preparation of the word of God. Paul wrote about the task of pastors and elders to the congregation, Ephesians 4, verse 11. We have spent much time here, and we probably never will get away from this section because it lets the church know both sides of the equation. What is it it expected of the pastors and teachers, of the elders, the overseers, and what's expected of us? We need to know this. Acts 4, or not Acts 4, Ephesians 4.11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, or you might say missionaries, church planners, the shepherds and teachers. And I believe that is a, that's one office describing what my calling is, shepherd and teach. Verse 12, what, are, what is all of this for? The founding of the church, the establishment of the church, the propagation of the church, planting churches, verse 12, that in every place, okay, every church that is planted to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly. So that's our case right there for every member a minister, that we worship together, that we walk together, and that we as members work together, that every member's hand is committed and involved in the work of the gospel because you're part of the family. So when the table time is finished, every member of the family should share in the responsibility of helping to clear the table because you're part of the family, not just a a spectator. It's not a spectator sport. When each part is working properly, here's what happens. Makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. See, sometimes we can be, Lord, build our church. I pray that. Lord, you said you're going to build your church, build your church. But do you see how the church is actually built? It's when the Spirit of the Lord, active in followers of Christ, submit to the Word of God, and they're led and they're equipped for ministry, and they put their hand to the task, not just to taking notes, which is wonderful, but they put their hand to the task and they serve. And some of you will be doing that tomorrow night. And we'll gather here at 5 o'clock and we'll open the doors wide at 6 o'clock. We'll eat together at 5. Someone's providing a meal for everybody who serves tomorrow night. Now everybody's going to be here like, ooh, free food, I'm there. It's for the Lord, right? And we're going to serve and we're going to open our doors and we're going to be a witness to our community. So, so this is where every member, it doesn't matter, well, well I, I only, you know, sweep, sweep the sidewalk or I only shovel the snow or welcome people or serve in the... No, no it, it, there's none of that. If you do what you do for the Lord... The glory is to the Lord. Every single part is needed. Overseers then, number two, not just properly recognized by the church, but earnestly protected by the church. And when I say properly recognized, that means biblically recognized. That's not just, you know, I have to hear, you know, some term or title or pomp and circumstance and reverend wise. No, that, 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 that's not a proper recognition. Earnestly protected by the church, 1 Timothy 5. I said recognition, I meant recognition. That word threw me. 1 Timothy 5, and, and he continues on, verse 19. Do not admit a charge against an elder, except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. Verse 21, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you, Timothy, to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing 
from partiality. Overseers are to be earnestly protected by the church. What does this mean? What is Paul saying? Well, the church is to protect blameless elders from sinning members. Okay, there is no sinless elder, but there ought to be blameless elders. And so when there are those making accusation, Paul says, do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. He's focusing, this this ministry is to be gospel-centered. Okay, so there are men in ministry who we're saved by the gospel, but we also live in the gospel. We need the gospel. We're to preach the gospel to ourselves all the time. And you have to keep in mind, and we must keep in mind, that elders still need the gospel. We still need the ministering work of the gospel to come to faith in Christ and to live out this life in Christ. We are still in need of God's grace. We're never beyond that. That's why Jesus said, don't call any man who's not your father, father. Holy Father, that's one in heaven. As for us down here, we're still in need of grace. Because like Peter, our feet still get dirty. Walking through this world, through our thoughts, through our motives and actions, and we need this continual cleansing. We're in need of God's grace. Without Jesus, we have no help and we have no hope. And God is changing us. And he even uses and especially uses this relationship within the eldership to shape and to mold and remake us and make us more like Jesus instead of having to feel like we come in and pretend that we have it all together. Thank you very much. I hope you can get it all together. I have it all together because after all, I'm, I'm, I'm elder, you know. No. Like I said earlier, that just puts you in more of a fishbowl. So who's swimming in that fishbowl with you? There's two guys with me right now, and there are many others who walk this life together. But this is, this is what is coming out. It's emanating from that office. It's an example that can be replicated throughout the church. This is how we live life together. This is how we walk together. That's why we're a church of small groups, not a church with small groups, because there's not one person. Do you hear, what, you hear the biblical example? If I'm telling you I'm a pastor, and I'm, I'm a servant of God, and I need relationships, and you say what? I don't. I'm fine on my own. You have to take that up with scripture, scripture and with the Lord. We're calling you to live together because we all need that through the good times and the bad times to serve and to be served, to help others and to be helped by others. It's not a one-way channel. We give and we take, and that's relationship, and that's real life live together. So then Paul says, protect elders and members in verse 20, from elders who persist in sin. Okay, so sometimes there's accusations made against elders and the people are wrong. Sometimes there's an elder that needs to be confronted. And if an elder is in sin and will persist in sin, will not repent, then that's a public office, it's a public position, and so that man has to be dealt with publicly. So that's why Paul writes to Timothy. Protect the elders of the church by refusing to receive an accusation against them on the word of one person. But then Matthew 18 is the process to be applied here. That's the same process. If something's not worked out, then there's a small group, and that small group doesn't work out, then there's eldership to intervene in that. And if that person says, this is who I am, this is what I'm doing, I will not repent, then that person who serves in a public office in the church, Paul says, you have to deal with them. But they've sold a lot of books. Paul would say, I don't care. Their church is thousands of people. I don't care. They're not the Lord of the church. They're not the head of the body. They're a man with clay feet. You need to deal with them. But you have to deal with them in love and the same way that you would deal with anyone. Not, you're a public position, and therefore you're t- you should hold to all of my opinions. Oh, I've been in those positions before. You're my pastor, therefore you should do everything that I think you should do. No, I should do everything that the Lord would have me to do that's scriptural. And you can't take me beyond scripture for me or for my family. 
to impose your opinions on me, nor can the church do that to you. Questions like this came up in Africa. And, they, and these guys just, you could see the, the wheels just turning of what they had been taught or trained and how they were working with how do, how do we go look at the scriptures again. Is that a biblical teaching or is that some man, his, his teaching? Verse 21, do not show partiality. Okay, so here, Paul just takes everything and he just brings it in to bear on Timothy. Like, Timothy, you might be intim- intimidated by that, that really powerful person, you know, in the church. But listen, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the, the full title of Jesus there, the elect angels, that you observe these things without prejudice. What is he saying? All of heaven is watching you, boy. Don't you dare flinch to that powerful person who says, this church won't survive if I'm not here. Don't you bow for a minute to that because he didn't die for the church, was buried and rose again and he isn't coming for the church. That's Jesus. That position is filled. You bow before Jesus and don't bow before anyone in that way improperly. Show no respect. Don't be discriminating in, well, here's a poor person and so we can, we can deal with them. No. What is right to do, do that. What pleases the Lord do that. That's the responsibility. Jesus is the head of the church. He's placed stewards over the congregation. You understand Joseph was a steward? Joseph was a steward in Potiphar's house. That didn't turn out so well in the end for him. And he was a steward of Pharaoh's. He owned nothing. When that false accusation came against him from Potiphar's wife, he lost everything and was put in prison. He was put in second in command, and it was all Pharaoh's. It wasn't Joseph's, but he was, put in, he was entrusted with it. That's how we are. You, I don't own you. It's not my church. It's the Lord's church. And I'm a steward, which means I own nothing, and I give, I give account for everything entrusted to my care and with the men as well. And the same goes for you in any ministry that you're entrusted in. If you're a small group leader, you don't own the small group. You're entrusted with the small group. It belongs to the Lord Jesus. A position of serving anywhere in the church, it's not yours. It's the Lord entrusting you that he would even consider to use us. This just amazes me. Number three, overseers must be carefully selected for the church. Carefully selected for the church. 1 Timothy 5.22. Paul talks about the selection process here, appointing, ordaining elders. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. That's just a personal note that Paul has to Timothy there. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Elders must first be, Paul says, proven. They must be proven. We have endeavored to do this, okay? So it's taken us time every time that we've ordained an elder because they must first be proven. Prove the candidates before setting them apart visibly for ministry. It applies to all elders, pastors, deacons. We have a clear process for this. The churches, you have greatly afforded us the ability to be patient and not hasty in this. Understanding that people are always watching with the eye of inspection a right way. Are we on the right track? Are we doing what the Bible says? Are our leaders leading us appropriately to the word of God? Those are all healthy questions. Someone in leadership should never, never fear those questions. 
We welcome that. Failure to prove the candidates before ordination, it leads to dragging others, elder, even the whole church, into sins of the strain elder. This rule of proving people before appointing them to leadership, it applies to all areas. We think of this when, even when someone comes into membership, we want to know them. We go through training before they work with our children. Why? Because we're stewarded with the task of caring for children. And we want to do well in all that we do. When planting churches, this task could, think about it. You plant the church, where are your proven people? When Paul went to Philippi, how long is the process until there are proven people there? This is why, loved ones, it takes other churches coming together to plant churches and to supplant them, to help them, to bring them up, to nurture them until they are on their own, much like parenting of children. In Acts chapter 14, Paul demonstrated this, verse 21 and when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Verse 23, and when they had appointed, here it is again, elders, plural, for them in every church, singular, with prayer and fasting, they took this very seriously. They committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So here's another window into the church planting process. And then they allow the church to grow. They allow it some time. They're leaving. Often Paul would leave someone there. You, you take lead. I'm moving on. I'll be back. And when he comes back, all right, who's proven faithful? Who is taking and they understand and they're applying and they're growing. Okay, then let's pray. Let's fast. And then let's appoint a team a plurality of elders for every church, and then we will carry on and we'll plant it. Do you realize that's why we're here 2,000 years later is because of this process? It's a biblical process. Elders must be first proven, but they also must be pure. Paul includes here a personal and a parenthetical note to Timothy about the subject of moral purity and physical health, vitality, he tells him, you need to live in purity. Exercise watchful care over your own life and the others who would lead in the congregation. Maintain a good testimony for Christ in the congregation and in the community. Earlier in this chapter, Paul already talked about, in verse 2 of chapter 5, he already talked about the importance of purity. And then he's telling Timothy, Timothy, you need to take care of yourself physically. He tells him here in verse 23, maybe Timothy had made a vow. It doesn't say it explicitly, but I, I will never touch alcohol. I've seen all the damage that it's done in people's lives. And he is sick. He's drinking this water and he's not well. And Paul says, you need to back off that vow. And you need to be well so that you can be healthy in ministry. It's, you're, you're sabotaging your own body. That's not a good thing to do. Something involving his stomach, physical weaknesses. It seems like Timothy was a little weaker. Titus was a little more of a stronger guy. Timothy was, seemed to be a little weaker. Let her see elders must be patient. Elders must be patient. The eyes of the elders must be firmly fixed on the Lord Jesus. Ministry is challenging because it cannot be rushed, nor it can be done through human ability alone. The pastor, the elder, deals with external pressure, and let me tell you, also internal pressure. It's not just other people's problems. It's my own problems. So there's internal and external pressure all the time. You can undo them at any time. So there's got to be patience. One of the virtues in the New Testament produced in the midst of suffering. And the word there is to bear up under, to be patient, to bear up under, to endure is a good way to understand what it means to be patient. Paul wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2 and 24, and he said, and the Lord's servant, okay, so that's 
true for a pastor, for an elder, for an overseer, for a shepherd, but it's true for everyone who would be a servant of the Lord. If you belong to Christ, that's who you are, loved ones. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Will you jot those verses down? 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26. Can I ask you, implore you as a church to pray for me on these verses right here? With the changing of times in our community, in our culture, what is the right response to provide the warning? How can we say what needs to be said in our community that is dealing with so many cultural challenges that are coming in like a tsunami? It's a wrong perspective to say, nobody will listen, so don't say anything. It's also a wrong perspective to simply blast people, to simply tell people what's right and I told them in a hateful way. That doesn't honor the Lord Jesus. Do you hear what Paul is imploring to Timothy? You need to speak up, son. You need to say what needs to be said. But the goal of saying it is to not just make yourself feel better that you said it. The goal of what we say, loved ones, is so that someone might hear, which is why last Sunday when dealing with the topic of saints, my aim, my desire was that people would hear whatever their background, whatever their upbringing, that they would hear and they would listen and they would consider it, not just cast me out because I was personally offensive to them. I need you to pray for me on that. That doesn't come naturally to me. What comes naturally is just say it. And that hurts people. It doesn't please the Lord. Nor does saying nothing. When Doug was here, remember what he said? You've been in a relationship with somebody five, ten years, and you have yet to slip in Jesus? How is that obeying the Great Commission? How are, we being, how are we being faithful? So the Holy Spirit convicts us of these things, reminds us of these things, that if someone does not know Christ, how will they hear the gospel? Do they see our lives? Do we make them hungry and thirsty for the gospel? Because they ask us for the reason of the hope that is in you. Is anyone asking us that? Do you understand? Do we understand the brokenness of our culture right now? The brokenness of our home? The escalating calls of mental illness that are being dealt with in our medical communities and first responders? There's brokenness in home after home after home. Where is the answer coming from, loved ones? if not the church. And if we are only loud, we will not be recognized as an answer that will help. We must be loving. We must speak the truth in love. We must speak the truth with hearts that are broken. We must speak in ways like Jesus did with those that he empathized with, that he loved, and he didn't leave them in sin. He called them out of sin. It's not loving to say nothing. It's not loving to justify sin. It's not loving to use you know, massive arguments to excuse away why it's okay to sin and why it's okay to go against God's creative order. That's not loving. But for us to walk this line requires humility and devotion to please the Lord. And it really helps to be in a community that is committed to the same thing, where people are committed for as long as life or as long as the Lord would leave them together in a church to say, we're with you and we're praying for you and we appreciate the truth spoken not in a harsh way, but in a loving way.
Because here at the end of the day, loved ones, you will not give account to me. And I will not give account to you. And I will not give account to the elders at the end of the day. I give account to them now. At the end of the day, we all give account to the Lord Jesus. That's whether you know Christ or whether you don't know Christ. And if you have never turned from your sin and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, and maybe you're trusting in something religious that was done at some point in your lifetime, a prayer at camp, baptism done when you were a baby, whatever it is, if you're not trusting in Christ alone, if you have never owned your sin, admitted your sin, trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, Spurgeon said the two wings that fly us to the Savior, repentance and faith. A bird, you can't fly with one wing. Faith, faith. It must be accompanied with repentance. Here's the problem. I'm a sinner. I'm separated from a holy God. And faith is also a gracious gift that flies us to the Savior, the only one who can save. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you please be praying? And I'm asking specifically in the next seven to 10 days for this 2 Timothy 2, 24, 25, and 26 to be fleshed out through your pastor? When evaluating current elders or potential elders, Paul is saying, Timothy, remember something, you're not the final judge. There are faithful and there are unfaithful servants of Christ, and he will pay, the Lord Jesus will repay each accordingly. This little section here has sustained me in ministry. I've worked for men, pastors, and they were men. They were not perfect. And these verses right here, they sustain me in ministry. That there are men who have obvious sins. They're conspicuous. Everybody sees it. What's wrong with that guy? That doesn't look like Jesus. I don't, I can't see anything of Christ in in this individual, there are conspicuous sins. And Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, the Lord will deal with him. And there are men with hidden sins, Timothy. Nobody knows. Timothy, the Lord will deal with that person too. There are people that are obvious with good works. Man, it's just evident, Matthew 5, 16, you know that person like, wow, I'm thankful for that individual. I can see all of these wonderful works that the Lord has done through them. Isn't that amazing? But then, Timothy, I want you to keep in mind something. There are people and nobody knows their name. The world doesn't stop when they walk by. Nobody asks them for their autograph. Let me tell you something. The Lord Jesus Christ knows their name. And he's the one that said, the last first, the first last. And I think heaven is gonna open some serious eyes of who were the MVPs of the gospel here on earth. And it's going to be, who are they? Where'd they come from? A village of Zambia, where? The Lord knows. Do you understand what Paul is, is instructing Timothy in that we desperately need? You remember when Jesus told Peter, when you're old, they're going to carry you where you don't want to go after he restored him. And you remember Peter's response after he was just given the prophecy of how he would die? Lord, what about John? You've given me some really bad news. What about that guy? And Jesus paraphrased, what about that guy? If he lives till I return, what is that to you, Pete? You fulfill your ministry. What about that church that just overnight, thousands of people? What about that church, wise? Fulfill your ministry. And that can be carried into every aspect of every part of ministry where we are called to serve. Teaching children, changing diapers. Someone is watching, and it's the one who matters most. Those gospel conversations with coworkers and family members, someone is watching, and who are we to judge 
that I'm sure they wouldn't listen to the message. Oh, you're in the place, I'm in the place of God now? I don't deem them worthy of eternal life because I just don't think they'll hear me. Oh, may God help us to simply cast the seed and let God be God because he's the one who saves, not you and not me. So let's don't put ourselves in that highest throne position that we can't fill anyway and it's not ever gonna be vacant and let's be faithful to share the gospel and to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. If we see this in just a summary way, this is our prayer. We're all involved in this. Each and every one of us. If you belong to Christ, then let's pray for those who currently serve and those who will serve in years or decades to come. There might be a young man this morning that God begins to work this in their heart and they're 20 years out. They're 15 years out. Doesn't happen overnight. That elders would be properly recognized, overseers would be earnest, earnestly protected and carefully selected for the church. Lord, let us always be right here. Let's not move away from this. Paul understood if the church in Philippi, if the church anywhere is going to be healthy, this is what is needed. These overseers, if they've got a, a tall order, still true for us. And this is the reproducing work of the gospel. This is what is needed. So as we think and we pray and churches are being planted in Romania and in India and in Africa, this is what we're praying. We want to see the same thing we see in Scripture. We want to see that here, and we want to see it reproduced, reproduced, and multiplied, not just added, multiplied. Amen? Let's stand together. Oh, Father, what a privilege it is to serve the Lord Jesus Christ in his church. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for salvation that is freely offered. I thank you for what you have done in me through the gospel, what you are doing and what you will do. And I thank you that it's the same for the church. Lord, I don't know the hearts of those who are here this morning. I don't know where people are. I don't know what their next step is. For someone this morning, their next step is they need to turn from their sin and they need to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. I pray that they would submit to the Spirit and do that. For someone who is not plugged in, they're not a member of a congregation, that this morning you would move in their heart and you would give them, if this is where you would have them, Lord, they would plant here. They would plug in. For the member who is here and they're still prayerfully considering where is the place that my DNA will be used by the Spirit of God in serving this body, I pray that they would take that next step. For those who need to plug into that community and small group, Father, give them the courage and the strength to be able to do that and realize that the only thing good about us is Jesus. And when we get together, we just share in the goodness of Jesus Christ. Father, I want you to accomplish your will in me and in us for the glory of Jesus. So we may we humble ourselves in your sight, Lord, because that is where you will lift us up. Whatever you want to do in us, whatever you're leading us, wherever you're at in our lives, I pray that we will submit to you this very moment and lay it down on the altar. For the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are 
loved.